I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. There are many people trying to do conventions here, sort of like they're doing pop culture conventions. They've been doing comic book related conventions, toy conventions, all these different things. But they have been able to scale to your size. What's your secret sauce you think that makes Conquest so much more crowd heavy? I mean, it, it's really got a stronger, I, to, my, to my mind, it's got a stronger following and it grew, it scaled faster than the other sort of conventions. Um, I think for Conquest, what ended up really helped it scale really fast is that we incorporated a lot of ideas from foreign conventions as well as uh, brought in a lot of people who worked on events abroad. So for example, our executive producer, Peter Pham, he was actually former event producer for Nintendo. So he helped work on the Pokemon Championship. Wow. He worked on E3, DreamHack, a lot of these big events. So compared to a lot of local events, which have their own charm, which have their own role in the ecosystem, we really tried to bring a taste or a version of what is available abroad back here to the Philippines. And that's something that is a big novelty for people here because uh, for the longest time, syempre, a lot of people are used to like the traditional way conventions are done here in Southeast Asia. And then when we bring something new, uh, humans are always the kind of creatures who always like something new. And good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you are watching this podcast from anywhere in the Philippines and from all over the world. And welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma podcast. In my podcast, I like to interview the country's pioneering business personalities and trailblazing entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business. What are their success secrets and can we replicate them for ourselves? How have they innovated, pivoted, evolved, scaled their businesses during the pandemic? But more importantly, what business opportunities do they see emerging in this new, new normal environment? Is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. I would love to learn from them as well. Just drop me a message so we can get in touch with them. Also, we are live on Kumu and on YouTube. Tonight, very excited here to have one of the co-founders of Akadarina. If any of you have heard of Akadarina, it is a Philippine esports startup that helps student gamers in Southeast, Southeast Asia rather to compete in international esports tournaments. It was founded in 2019 by Justin Banusing, Kevin Boang, and Arian Lim. And they partnered with over 600 schools covering more than 100,000 students to create and support gaming clubs and communities. In December 2022, last year, they raised $3.5 million in seed funding. Right now, they're actually developing another space uh, called the Akadarina Space uh, in National University Laguna to teach, actually, a dream space and a convertible student hub to teach young gamers how to improve in esports and other tech activities. And more than that, they're going to be having a really big activity, their Conquest Festival 2023, year five, one of the largest pop culture festivals here in Southeast Asia. The founders were featured in Forbes 30 under 30 under the category of technology. Can I please welcome here on the show, Mr. Justin Banusing. Justin, welcome to the RG Ladesa podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. After listening to your podcast for a while, now, really excited to be here. Oh, I've been looking forward to having you for the longest, longest time. And, and so happy that you're finally here. Now, before everything else, I want to excite everybody because this coming June 2 to 4 is Conquest. Please tell people a bit more about the Conquest. I'm sure the diehard gamers here know all about Conquest. But for those who want to learn more about Conquest, tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, so Conquest is basically how we describe it as the Coachella for Nerds. It's basically a gathering of all things pop culture under one roof at the Mall of Asia Complex. So anything gaming, anime, pop culture, comics, music, K-pop, you name it, 
we have it all under one roof. So kind of think of it kind of like a modern Comic-Con here for the Philippines. This year, we're expecting about 100,000 people. And Whoa. last year, we... Last year, we took over the Mall of Asia, the SMX Convention Center. But this year, we're actually going multi-venue now. So on top of the SMX Convention Center, we're also taking over several buildings nearby from uh, Micro Hotel to Conrad Hotel. We're even taking over a part of the mall, kahit yung streets pinaklose namin, to basically convert the Mall of Asia area into like kind of like a theme park for the weekend. That's crazy. Again, I just want to flash on the screen. Z can be flash on the screen for those who want to know more Conquest, uh, Conquest Asia or Conquest 2023, that's www.conquestph.com. Again, that's www.conquestph.com. Zeke, if you can flash that on the screen. Now, what I understand, as you told me earlier on, was that this actually began five years ago, and it started off in, in Iloilo. And when it started off in Iloilo, you just had, a, a, what, 700 people who came? Yeah, so we started it off around 2017. So, bale. Uh, I was about to graduate high school and, you know, for the longest time, the thing that really inspired me to get into gaming, to get into the industry was visiting different conventions across the world, visiting different like expos. So I was like, why doesn't Iloilo have its own gaming festival? So I gathered a bunch of friends. Tapos as our graduation project for that year, actually, sabi ko sa teacher namin, why don't you just let me run a convention? So obviously a lot of people were actually really surprised by that because, uh, how does a random high school group of high schoolers get those resources? How do you guys make it happen? But uh, by sheer luck, as well as the fact that we just had, uh, you know, it was the right time at the right place. We were able to, how do I say this, able to gather the strength needed to create the first conquest back in 2017. So that had 700 people. Then throughout college, throughout high school, we just kept running it. 2018, it had uh, 2,000 people. 2019, it went to like 7,000, 8,000 people. Uh, then the pandemic happened and it stopped for a little bit. Then we came back in 2022, right around my senior year of college. It became uh, 30,000 people last year. And Shempre, you know, every year we triple conquest. So this year our goal, going from 30,000, we're aiming for uh, close to 100,000 this year. Well, how, how are you? That kind of blows my mind. How are you scaling from 30 to 100,000 people? I mean, that that's 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 pretty big. How, how did you manage to grow it to that number? Well, uh, it goes to two sides, right? It goes from supply and demand. On the supply side, uh, last year was actually uh, sold out. Like we actually sold out tickets well before the event happened. So we actually had to stop selling tickets on the day of the event. So uh, because we simply did not have enough space and enough time to fit everyone in uh, last year. Uh, so last year capped at 33,000 exactly because SMX Convention Center just wasn't enough to hold that many people, especially because we only took up like three-fourths of the convention center. So first of all, we fixed the supply issue by getting more venues, getting more guests. So this year, we're actually, uh, we actually more than quadrupled the amount of space that we have, quadrupled the amount of booths, quadrupled the amount of space, working with different partners like Shempre, your, yourselves at Mercato to create different pockets of areas to accommodate the different fandoms. And uh, now this year, we actually have over... 80 different creators, artists, musicians across the world all flying out for this event. So that's on the supply side. On the demand side, it's really just the fact that there is a growing demand for pop culture spending here in Southeast Asia. Like as the economy for Southeast Asia matures from a early stage developing economy to a mid-stage developing economy, more people actually have the disposable income to spend on entertainment. And where else are they going to spend it other than a place where they can finally see all the people they've been looking up to for most of their lives. So, Justin, getting back again to what you were talking about before we got cut off earlier on, uh, you were telling me about that there's a problem with the, uh, the demand supply, you matched it, so that meant that actually you would have gone for maybe even 100,000 even during your fourth year? Yeah, last year we could have actually probably hit like 60,000, 70,000 people if, uh, if, uh, if we actually had enough space last year. Because uh, last year we actually had a lot of people uh, lining up until... Uh, we, ha we actually had a lot of people lining up uh, on the day of the event, but we weren't able to accommodate them. Na. My, my question is, how did you scale? Like, it, it was in Bacolod, 7,000, 700, 2,000, 3,000. What did you identify as what made it so viral? Uh, I think, honestly, for Conquest in general, uh, key, the key value of an event like Conquest is really just fandom. A lot of people nowadays have built connections and build... Uh, 
what's this build fandom for people online like these online creators who help them go through the pandemic people who help them grow up learn new things and getting the chance to see them in person for the first time is is a big value proposition for them if you don't mind me asking there are many people trying to do conventions here sort of like they're doing pop culture conventions they've been doing comic book related conventions toy conventions all these different things but they have been able to scale to your size What's your secret sauce you think that made that that makes conquest so much more uh, I guess crowd heavy I mean it, it's really got a stronger I, to my to my mind it's got a stronger following and it grew it scaled faster than the other sort of conventions um I think for conquest what ended up really helped it scale really fast is that we incorporated a lot of ideas from foreign conventions as well as uh, brought in a lot of people who worked on uh, events abroad So, for example, our executive producer Peter Pham, he was actually a former event producer for Nintendo. So he helped work on the wow. championship. He worked on E3, DreamHack, a lot of these big events. So, uh, compared to a lot of local events who, which have their own charm, which have their own role in the ecosystem, we really try to bring a taste or a version of what is available abroad back here to the Philippines. And that's something that is a big novelty for people here because uh, for the longest time, sure. A lot of people are used to like the traditional way conventions are done here in Southeast Asia, and then when we bring something new, uh, humans are always the kind of creatures who always like something new. Got that? Um, what can we expect in the convention? How many days, and what 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 can we expect? What what's going to be different? What's going to be exciting? Yeah. So this year, uh, the, the, this year the convention takes place from June two to four, Friday to uh, Friday to Sunday. Every day is packed with different kinds of activities with different kinds of creators. So uh, there's going to be bands and uh, DJs and K-pop artists all playing during the night. There's going to be a food festival. There's going to be a, mar- a market with uh, vendors from artists all across Southeast Asia. There's going to be meet and greets with your favorite celebrities and content creators. And sure, there's going to be different competitions people can partake in, as well as trying out all the latest uh, tech, all the latest gadgets and games. So really, if you're into this kind of pop culture, if you're really into gaming, if you're into anime, music, really anything that people nowadays like, there's something for you at our event. So that's June two to four in probably thirty percent of SF all of Asia. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And then where where can you buy tickets for that right now? If you still if there if there's still tickets available. Yeah. So tickets are running out really fast, but tickets are uh, tickets are available on conquestph.com/tickets. Uh, we currently have tickets still remaining for three day for uh, for ano uh, for the three day pass for Sunday for Friday. Chaka yung Uh, premium pass. Uh, Saturday's already fully sold out, so uh, Saturday is looking like the biggest day for the event. Well, fantastic! You know, but people, I need to make people realize that as I was listening to you, that you said that the first conquest you were still in in high school, graduating high school, and he told me earlier on he is a proud Pisay graduate, Philippine Science High School, Iloilo graduate. Shout out to all the Pisay over there, Justin. So that that means that you were doing this while you you were high school, and then you actually went to the states for college. So that meant that you were trying, you were running these even while you were in the states. Yeah, so uh, we actually kept running the company and Conquest uh, remotely. Uh, well, uh, not exactly remotely when I was in high school and college. So uh, Conquest, because our team really started as more of a volunteer slash weekend kind of thing, uh, while we all had mm-hmm. like our own and jobs and our day jobs. So we kept running it on the side. I went back to the Philippines every one to two months to help uh, hash things out, and then in. Uh, 2020, 2021, when the pandemic was in its peak, we all decided, hey, why don't we just quit our full-time jobs and let's go all in on this company we're building? Wow, really great, really great job that you guys have been doing here with Conquest and really fulfilling a lot of the pop culture, you know, when I would say pop culture dreams of many people here who, who want to have something like this one. And I just want to have a shout out right now to the folks um, of Justin, who are friends of mine, Pauline and Gus Banusing, if they're listening here right now. Thanks for listening, uh, Tita Pauline and Tito Gus. You know, Justin. You know, I had a chance uh, with with uh, the birthday party of your of your of your uncle, Attorney Mark, where I decided to meet them. And your mom apparently many years ago saved my saved my butt when we were in Barakay because I had finished the fifteen uh, uh, the fifteen shots. Uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with the fifteen shots. Yeah. And then you get a free shirt in Moon Dogs Cafe, I think. And um, I was very drunk. And your mom, a good soul, helped me get back to my get back to my hotel room. So thank you so much. Pauline, if you're listening here right now, belated thank you to you. Anyway, um, getting back to the story, Justin, over here. So one, that's one big thing that conquest is, 
And Conquest, is that is that part of Akadarina or that's something that's being done in cooperation with Akadarina? Yeah, so it's actually the culmination of every year's work at Akadarina because Conquest always takes place at the end of the school year. All of our tournaments culminate to it. So all of the inter-school tournaments that we run between all the different universities, the finals are actually being held at Conquest. So it's a... Uh, it's actually like, uh, I guess you could say it's like the culmination event of our company every year. Got that. So now we've talked about Akadarina enough. Maybe it's time to maybe explain what Akadarina is. Um, you know, for, for many people here listening right now, um, uh, we often tell them, you know, what's the elevator pitch that you made? Meaning for people, when you say elevator pitch, just to explain to the others, it's sort of like uh, you're riding an elevator, you get into the elevator with the CEO, then you just got about 30 seconds to explain uh, what your co- your winning concept is. What exactly was your elevator pitch to your investors for Akadarina? Yeah, so for Akadarina, basically what we just tell investors is that we're turning, uh, we're basically melding gaming culture and scholastic culture together. And uh, right now, if you look at it, over 90% of people who go to school nowadays, at least the Gen Z, Gen A uh, people, 9 out of 10 people who are in that generation play video games. So really from a brand perspective and a consumer perspective, uh, creating a company that builds at the intersection of gaming culture and school culture just makes sense, at least in this day and age. So let's go back a bit more to the origins of uh, putting up Akadarina. Um, because it's very interesting how you how you how you how you put together gaming and scholastic culture or academic culture. Because during my time, uh, during your folks' time, I would think you know it was like you know, my God, you're playing video games. Uh, you won't get anywhere by playing video games, and that's like sort of like the generation where I came from. And now people are making millions of millions of dollars by being esports athletes or esports gamers. Can you? I mean, if if you're more aware, how did that culture eventually change from? I guess from. In your own perspective, from being like, uh, don't play games, it's not good for you. Play games because you're going to make millions of dollars. Uh, I think one of the biggest understated like uh, shifts in culture that has happened because of, uh, like, that caused this thing to happen is just the fact that we're actually entering a generation of people who grew up with video games. So if you go one generation back to Goro, like the millennial side, Millennials grew up with parents who came from like the baby boomer generation. You know, it's like people who grew up in the 60s and 70s who didn't grow up with video games. And traditional human nature has it that you're simply uh, not receptive to things that you did not grow up with. Now, because we're growing up, uh, because the current generation is Gen Z and Gen A, they're actually starting to, uh, their parents are actually people who more likely than not grew up with video games. So really this... uh, while, while the economy and the market has shifted uh, towards the point where there is more opportunities in gaming and pop culture nowadays, I think one of the biggest factors is the, is the sheer fact that like uh, my dad grew up with video games, my mom grew up with video games. It's like, uh, and then by the next generation onward, probably like when my generation becomes parents, all of us have grown up with video games. So the next generation is going to be even more normalized. So it's really just the dynamics of generations. I, I get that. Um, your folks and I grew up with uh, playing Atari video games and you know by the time we were grade school you're probably playing Atari uh, then uh, by, by high school you're playing I guess uh, uh, we were playing Nintendo uh, Nintendo Super Mario and probably by this time it's evolved since that time and I guess right now it's it's the prevalent culture to play uh, video games but can you just give me an idea just how big is the video game I guess gaming industry here in the Philippines? And and especially, how many people play video games? Why is it a great business to monetize? Yeah, so uh, in general right now, the gaming industry, well, not not specifically the esports industry, but the gaming industry in general is a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, nowadays, gaming is outpacing movies, it's outpacing music, it's outpacing anime in terms of like uh, the most engaged and the most money-making form of media out there. Uh, you know, I think a part of it has to go with the fact that it's a much more engaging form of media than other other forms of media. Is gaming going to be the thing that's going to be the final form of media? Probably not. There's probably going to be something that's going to uh, take take uh, probably take everyone's attention 20 to 30 years from now, maybe 50 years from now. But right now, that's gaming. So that's one, right? It's like gaming is uh, the fastest form going, growing form of media. The second one is that here in the Philippines... Uh, Gaming culture in the Philippines has grown a lot or is one of the most active in the world simply because there is, uh, for lack of a better term, a much higher level of access in terms of the way the culture has developed here. For example, uh, a lot of the past generation, the reason why PC gaming wasn't that big in the United States was because they didn't have the concept of internet cafes. 
here in the Philippines, uh, you could pay 10 pesos, 20 pesos, 30 pesos an hour to access an internet cafe with PC. So that's one of the reasons why it grew really fast back in the day. Nowadays, because uh, one of the other reasons why it's really big here in the Philippines as well is because the commute time is so long here in the Philippines. Like when you're in Manila, when you're trying to go from, uh, let's, for example, right, Pasay to like a gig, for example, that that's going to take you like one to two hours. And because of this, people are people actually turn to mobile gaming as one of the biggest like forms of entertainment nowadays, rather than during the pandemic. So uh, what ends up happening is that gaming is really big here in the Philippines, particularly because of the circumstances that our country is in, specifically like the mobile gaming side. I mean, if you're in a country where people spend one third of their day in traffic, you actually have to find a way to entertain yourself. Well, inter very interesting. So having said that, what was the pain point that you initially wanted to address when you established Akadarina? Because I'm guessing Conquest came first and you said, oh, this is a nice pop culture gaming type of, of event that we can all get into. So how did it evolve from there? Then, What is the pain point that you want to address where you discovered that gaming and, and academia, academia was something that you could put together? Yeah, I think for uh, Akadarina, it was really born out of passion because uh, when we started Conquest, right, uh, it was me and a bunch of friends building things in like our backyard, basically trying to like uh, trying to basically create things for our hometown. Then we realized, why aren't there more people our age trying to uh, build things in gaming or like pursue their passion for gaming? And we told ourselves, oh, that's because like even though there's people who are just us, if not more driven than us, just as if not more skilled than us, they simply didn't have the guidance that we did or the luck that we did in order to make it in the industry. So that's why we started Akaterina, so that people who have similar dreams or similar aspirations for us can continue doing things. The idea is that Conquest is a once-a-year thing that people celebrate, but Akaterina is that engine that keeps the community going for the, the rest of the year. So Akaterina was an idea born out of Conquest because the pain point was saying, how come we can't do this on a more consistent basis, right? Sort of like that. Yeah. Or how do we enable more people to do their own mini conquests or their own projects on their own? Because everyone has different visions. Not everyone wants to run a convention. Some people want to run tournaments. Some people want to become uh, media content creators. How do we create ways for people to, or how do we enable them to create, to pursue what they want in the gaming industry year long? No, not just wait for this one event. Got that. So how did you how did you how did Akadarina come all together? So from what I understand, um you were studying in the University of Washington and from there you you met your co-founder. So okay, help me bring you back. What is the secret origin that led to the creation of Akadarina? Uh I think for uh, what ended up like uh the secret moment or like the moment that made us realize why we really wanted to make Akadarina was it wasn't really one particular moment, it was more of a how do I say it? it was more of like a long running pain point that we had internally of like, how do we bring more young people to the industry? But when it came, but when it came to the moment for us to like all quit our full time jobs, I think it was just really when we started hitting a wall with what we could do part time. Me, Aryan and Kevin were all working different full time jobs elsewhere. I was working at this streaming company called Pipeline. Kevin was working at Twitch. Aryan was working at Huya. And we were all like, OK, siguro ito na talaga yung limit of what we could do with 20 hours a week of like our part time work. So we all said, like, all right, let's quit our jobs and let's go all into this full time. Because by that time, we actually already had uh, offers for venture capital funding from different people at that point. Eh? So we were like, all right, like, it's not a lot of money. It was like, uh, it was just enough to like pay us a like pay our team. Like coming out as founders, we didn't start taking a salary until later on, but it was just enough to like pay a full time team, like our expenses. And it made us like, it made us come to the realization, you know. Even if this fails, let's give it like six months. Let's give it a year. And then from then on out in 2021, it just started to roll. How did you get together with, with the rest of your team? I'm just curious because um, I know that you're Filipino, but Kevin is, is um, he's, he's, uh, is he Vietnamese American? I'm not too sure. Is yeah, that he's right? Vietnamese American. So, uh, yeah. What, what and then Aryan, your other partner? Is, yeah, Aryan is, is Filipino. A Filipino, okay. So tell me a bit more about how, how that, uh, and uh, something like Kevin, how did, how did you convince him to come to the Philippines and do business here? Yeah, I, I, uh, it was it took a while actually. Pero for Aryan, right? Aryan was already helping us out back in high school because she was uh she was actually my uh, no, she was actually my boss when I was uh. So for context, I actually started working in the industry when I was thirteen, and Aryan was one of the people I used to like contract for freelance for back in high school. So Aryan was already helping me out back noon pa. 
and then Kevin was actually one of the people I also used to like contract for. So we used I used to do a bunch of freelance contract work for Twitch. Uh, so that's how I met Kevin and Aryan. And then when I started Conquest, I told them, hey, you know, it's like I need help on this. Could you guys come over to Iloilo for this? And they decided to fly over and help me out with it. And they, uh, they even sponsored the event with their their previous companies. And then uh, 2021, uh, Aryan and I really wanted to go on it full-time because we were seeing really good growth. And then Kevin actually had just quit Twitch. He was like, uh, he was in like, you know, like after you quit your first big corporate job, uh, you know, you're you're in like a soul searching phase. And we told Kevin, hey, you know, uh, we may not be able to pay you a lot. And it's a big risk for you to come home to Southeast Asia. But why don't you come over here and let's see what we can build. And part of it for Kevin, right, was his own like uh, Vietnamese pride of being able to, you know, live in the U.S., grow up there and bring something back home here to Asia. Wow, interesting. So when, when you guys made that big move to come over here uh, and put money behind Akaterina, um, you didn't bootstrap basically. You 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 were able. You started off with seed funding. How did you start off the comp- How did you start off uh, Academia? Uh, yeah, actually, Academia did start off pretty a bootstrap. It started with uh, my personal funds as uh, what's this? It started off with my personal funds as uh, like the money that I had saved from doing a lot of freelancing and like uh, contract work back in high school. So in high school, I was already traveling across the world doing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lots of different like uh, gigs here and there. And I was able to like amass a little bit of savings for that. Uh, it was supposed to actually be my college fund. That's why I was saving up a lot for it. And then I used that to fund the first couple of months of the company. Then we had really good luck. Like, not good luck, but we had a lot of people in the industry who really believed in us. So we were able to get clients. Uh, we were able to get clients for the first two years of Academia 2020, 2019, pretty, uh, not easily, but pretty straightforward. Like, we had a bunch of clients that paid for the bill. So we were profitable naman from the get-go. Uh, and then 2021, a venture capitalist started noticing us. And that's when we started raising. Wow, I agree with the man. I'm gonna step back a bit and 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 then really take a look at the at, at the idea that you were 13 years old and you've been working ever since you were 13 years old. Is that right? Yeah. I I, I find like my daughter's 13 years old right now, and all she's concerned about is is school and her her extracurricular activities. I mean, what were you doing? I mean, what what sort of I guess, uh, home background did you grow up in that was very entrepreneurial, which made you have that hustle even at 13 years old? And what kind of work were you doing? Yeah, so uh, back when I was 13, I was doing a lot mostly of... Uh, I, I started in writing mostly, so I started as a journalist. Uh, I was working for uh, Inquirer.net. Then eventually I started getting gigs at like, international outlets like Red Bull, ESPN, so I was I was actually the first uh, writer for ESPN's gaming department here in in Asia. So that that was actually pretty cool for a while back when I was like 15 or 16. So I started in writing, then eventually events, then eventually uh, transitioned more onto the technical side because I code as well. So I started working as a uh, technical product manager for another tech startup. So it really it really went from uh, I, I tried out different gigs basically from creatives to content all the way to tech. And then uh, that ended up me creating my own company. Yeah. How did all that experience that you got, even as a young age, how did it inform you creating the company? How did each of these? What can you say? How, how did each of your experiences evolve into what uh, into what Akadarina was? Mm, I wouldn't say necessarily like. Uh, I guess what it what it did it, like getting getting exposure to the working world at an early age kind of like showed me just how. 
no, it's not it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's more of like just the truth of like just how unfair the world really is, you know, in the sense now in, in the sense that like as Filipinos, right? Filipino uh, like Philippine education teaches us to think in a very straightforward way. Now do X, get mm-hmm. Y, get high grades, then you get honors. If you get honors, you're probably gonna get a good job. If you get a good job, then like you'll have a good life. But getting exposed to uh quote unquote like the real world at a young age kind of like showed me that the world is not as linear as uh educators or like the school system teaches us. And I think that gave me an edge when it came to like starting a company because uh I mean you can probably relate to this uh but it's like being an entrepreneur is not a linear thing. It's not a you know do X yes, Sometimes you work really hard and then when you work really hard nothing happens. But sometimes you do something really easy and then something like lots of lots of big things happen when you do something easy. It's it's not one to one. It's not like there's no real formula to it. And it just teaches like I think the biggest thing that working early really taught me is just instincts. It, it's amazing, JC, that you're able to develop this one earlier on because I, I often think that sometimes especially for the older generation, the Gen X and Boomer generation, there's an idea that to be successful or to have achieved something, you must have seniority, you must have maturity, you must have grad, you must have done earned your stripes to do it. But nowadays, um, like for yourself at 22, you've done, I mean, you've achieved this one based on merit eh? and they think you're, you're too young for this one, but actually, it's not really age, uh, you know. Here they would think the Philippines age is a uh, works against you, but for you, age worked for you amazingly in a culture where, you know, age or seniority is very important. Yeah, I would I would say that uh, I would say that there's still a lot of things that you can gain from aging experience, but uh, I think we live in an era just because of how accessible information is and just how uh, open the tech and the gaming industry are that there is room for younger people to to be on the come up and like rise up and uh, i think that's something that like uh people should appreciate more nowadays compared to like back then i see um when you were when you were uh, as you were putting this all together was there a point that you were a bit uh you know anybody any entrepreneur i know has experienced some level of failure or doubt or self-doubt because it's not an it's not an easy thing to become an entrepreneur and you started off at 13 uh hustling already so was there a point when you were putting Akadarina that, that that scared you or that where you where you thought well you felt that you know it might not work? Yeah, there were so many times I thought that would happen, honestly. Especially uh, especially as a younger entrepreneur. It's like there were so many close like as as I like to say, like when you're building like my mentor told me this that when you're building a company, you're probably gonna have like two to three near-death experiences throughout the time that you're running it. And uh, like when we talk about near death, right? Like the company is about to die when it only has like one to two months left of runway, uh, when the market's not going well. It's like we've had many moments like that in Ekaterina, contrary to what people think, just as any company does, there's always troubled times. And I think there were those times that I was still in school, all of the stuff was piling up, that I had sometimes doubts to myself that like, are we really the right people to do this mission that we really believe in? But at the end of the day, I like to think that... uh, it, it's it's always about putting your best effort into something so that at least even if you fail, you know that you did your best and you have no regrets. Well, if you don't mind, I hope you don't mind me asking a bit more. If you, if we drill down a bit more, what incident for you was very defining in terms of, you know, it, it seemed like a failure, but actually it became something that was a success for you. Because like for many of us, you know, you know, especially in the startup world, you have a beta model. It, you, you, it's built to fail because you have to learn from it and you do better, right? So what is that? what is that for you in Akadarina? Uh, I think I, I think like uh, in ge- in general in general right it's just being receptive to the ability that even if you fail you have th- you have the ability to come back up even if it's not the way that you expect it to be like there were so many times in the company we actually had to pivot around our strategies compared to what we think is uh, is, uh was right like I think one of the biggest understated traits of an entrepreneur is being able to hit, take uh this is another term from my mentor, but basically being able to take punches in the face from the market. You know, uh, you have mm-hmm. to, be able to be, you have to be confident enough to go out into the market. And if the market loves you, then they'll take you in. But if the market doesn't love you, they'll hit, they'll take, they'll punch you in the face. And if the market does punch you in the face, <laughs> you have to know, you have to know what you, you have to know what to learn from it instead of crying. Yeah, yeah, I've been punched in the face many times by the market, many many times, and I have the scars to show for it. And, and then. When there's a point also when you're doing a Kadarina where it felt like 
wow, we're gonna make it. You know, it, it's it's getting somewhere. Or you know, parang wow, I can't believe we're here. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was last year when we, uh, contrary to popular opinion, people would typically think it's when you raise money. But I'm always of the traditional business person mindset that when you raise money, it's not something to celebrate. It's actually, it's actually something you should be not necessarily fearful, but something that you should be cognizant of. Because when you raise money, you take on expectations and you take on a promise to someone else that you will return money to them. So actually, it wasn't that for us. That moment when we realized we were really making it was last year's Conquest Seguro when we started seeing the thousands of like thousands of people coming into like our hall, smiling, very happy and excited for our event. Because uh, honestly, nothing should make your day better than a happy customer. Now, since we're talking about, I understand that uh, back in December 2022, you got about 3.5 million in funding. And then uh, you're expecting even a, 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 another raising again of, of capital for the business. There are many entrepreneurs, also startup entrepreneurs listening here right now. What do you think would be your initial tips for them, uh, for those who are being approached by venture capitalists? What are the watchouts that they should know and how should they be prepared? You know, basic ideas that you want to share with them. Uh, I think when it comes to dealing with VCs, it's always uh, it's always twofold, right? Number one, know your product and your company like the back of your uh, like like the back of your hand, because like at the end of the day, like the only person who can truly sell your company is you. I see a lot of entrepreneurs here in the Philippines fall into the trap of they pass on fundraising for, to their company to like a third party consultant. Like if you're if you can't sell if you can't sell your company or if you can't pitch your company like your company's equity to other people on your own, you're probably, you probably either don't believe it in it, b- believe in it enough, or B, you probably didn't study enough on it, which is like a big red flag to you as an uh, entrepreneur. And you probably shouldn't be raising money if you don't, if you can't raise on your own. The second one is uh, think outside the box when it comes to, think outside the box when it comes to like the questions that they ask you. Uh, what I mean by this is that what VCs are looking for is, uh, they're not necessarily looking for who you are today as a business. That's more of a validator for them to fund you. But what they're looking for is your vision on where the business could be. One of the biggest like pitfalls that I see, because I do a bunch of angel investing myself into other uh, local startups here in the Philippines, is that uh, a lot of businesses tend to pigeonhole themselves into the business of today, and they don't think of the business of tomorrow. And that's something that turns investors off, right? Like, if you can't see yourself becoming a billion-dollar business, then no, then investors probably won't be able to see you either. Got, got that, got that. Now, um, let, let's go back again uh, to the business of Pagadarina. Can you explain to us, basically, um, I, I know that it's, it's helped to help improve the gaming. It's, it's turning gaming into sort of, like, to my understanding, it's like they're teaching gaming in the, in the best way possible. Can you explain exactly what it does and what, what is the business model for Pagadarina? Oh uh, yeah, so Academia at its core is really an advertising business. We help advertisers uh, reach the younger generation, Gen Z, Gen A, uh, through gaming. So really, we're not necessarily a gaming company or just a gaming company. We're more of an advertising company that uses gaming and pop culture as a medium to, uh, know, to connect to the younger generation. So our primary business model is through uh, advertising. I see. And then, I, is there what is the like you're saying? Oh, there's an academic component and a gaming component. How what exactly is sort of like the academic component? People can take courses in gaming with you guys, and then they have to pay for the course. Uh, no, we pay. Uh, they they participate in our different events. These can sometimes be seminars. These can sometimes be conventions. They pay to participate in those. But then stuff like our tournaments, our clubs, our uh, after school programs, those are all free and subsidized by different advertisers and sponsors. I see, I see. So advertising is really the, the, the main uh, the main driver for business here for uh, for for you guys over here. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And then how is this? How do you plan to scale this business aside from what you're doing here right now? I understand it's it's hundred thousand people growing it. Uh, you know, with conquest. Uh, where do you plan? Where do you guys plan to go from here? Do you plan to grow in the Philippines regionally? Do you plan to go Southeast Asia? What, what do you guys plan to do next? Uh, we're actually planning to expand across different parts of Southeast Asia soon. So we're looking at Vietnam. We're looking at South Korea and India as our next markets. Uh, we've already expanded to Brazil last year. So really, it's taking the mission that we've built here and bringing it across uh, Southeast Asia, Latin America, and different parts of the world. Uh, we've been very honest from the start with our investors and our community that we don't intend on just sticking to the Philippines in the long run. We really want to become a global company. And uh, I think that's a pretty unique vision compared to a lot of like Filipino startups, just because like a lot of Filipino startups are building 
uh, X for the Philippines. And that's a very big market. And that's a market they should not underestimate, like just the Philippines. But for us as a company, we want to be the first like Filipino startup to really scale across the world. And, and what, what, what are the unique qualities, I guess, that you have that you think will make it scalable across the world? What, what do you see as the common denominators that make it a company that, that can travel? Uh, well, it's two things, right? Number one is that on the cultural side, gaming and cam- and uh, campus gaming culture in general is a universal language. Whether you go to, and gaming in general is a universal language, whether you go to Brazil, America, Europe, Philippines, gaming culture is one of the few cultures in the world that's universal and shared. Everyone knows what a Fortnite dance is. Everyone knows what, like, uh, like all gamers know what like le- like what it feels like to lose in League of Legends. Uh, the second one is that we've had a team that simply scaled companies across the world. Like our uh, chief strategy officer, example, Garvey, worked for nine years at Amazon as uh, the director of strategic partnerships. So he actually helped scale uh, Amazon's gaming program, Twitch, uh, to uh, no, to uh, all the different countries across the world. So we've had a team that's done it. Even though we're uh, even though the executive team, at the very least, like me, Ari and Kevin. We're on the younger side. I'm 23. Aryan and Kevin are 30. Uh, a lot of our team is actually on the veteran side of the industry now, who have done it all, uh, many times before. Well, I'm, I'm curious, how did you build such a strong team uh, at such an early stage? Uh, especially, are, are your teammates uh, not non Filipinos? You know, like sort of like expats who joined the Filipino startup. I'm, I'm just curious how you how you put the team together. Yeah. So uh, a lot of our, our our team is again pretty unique in a composition because. Uh, I would I I think forty percent of our team is expat, so uh, a lot of our team members actually all moved from the U.S. to go here to the Philippines. Uh, it's around another. It's around, uh, a lot of them were like former coworkers of our different teammates across the world. Kevin's former teammates at Twitch, Garvey's former teammates across different companies. So uh, I think it's honestly just uh, a lot of people were really enticed. They were really impressed with our mission. And they decided to like uproot their lives and move all the way here to the Philippines. And we're really thankful for that every day. Well, and, and how did... I often ask this question to many expats. But maybe I can ask it to you. What did they see about... Because you know, many people, sometimes Filipinos, when we look at ourselves, we're so jaded. But we go, there's no potential in the Philippines. And I need to... I need to migrate abroad right but you came back over here and you brought expats over here what did you guys see about the country that maybe that other people saw about the philippines that was you know ripe for growth mm, i think for them it was less so about the philippines and more so the the mission more so the mission that we have uh because uh, uh for katarina ever since the beginning we've always been aiming to expand past the philippines so for a lot of them, it's really just the opportunity to go to, to go to a new country that's growing really fast, that has a very passionate community, and the opportunity to work on a global solution, a global company from a emerging market. And what? How do you find aside from the Philippines? How do you know which are the other countries to go to next? Is there sort of like has to have a similar socioeconomic background as Philippines or similar lifestyle demographics? How do you know which places to choose next? Yeah, so we particularly look at markets or countries to expand to based on like a bunch of different factors. One is like the total addressable market for gamers, like the TAM in that market. Uh, for example, Brazil, India, South Korea, uh, Vietnam, some of the fastest growing populations of Gen Z and Gen A with uh, with high tech literacy and and, uh, and similar cultural values to the Philippines. Like uh, I think one of the, the reasons not why, like a lot of people were surprised, why did you choose Brazil as your first, like, uh, as your first, like, country to expand to? Mm-hmm. And the answer, the answer is that it's actually the country with the most similarities to the Philippines in terms of like a high, high, uh, high population country that has a Catholic Christian background that has a similar Hispanic culture and a similar education system and a similar taste in video games. So it's actually like uh, we really look for countries that have like that check the boxes, you know, high market size high-growing youth population, high literacy, you know, uh, those factors, and then we take that into account. Well, interesting. And so the, that's how the, the goal is to really expand just out beyond the Philippines. But here right now, you're doing a lot of investment here in the country as well. And from what I understand, that you're actually doing a project out of uh, National University in Laguna. Can you tell me a bit more about that? But I, I, I'm i really curious what, what you guys are doing to help, I guess, build more of the gaming community over here and make sure that they feed into the ecosystem of, of, of conquest and the other things Akadarina does. Yeah, so uh, what's this where... Uh, the one of the spaces that we're, or one of the projects we've been doing is called our Academy Innovation Labs project. 
Uh, basically, we help create like gaming multi-purpose technology labs in schools where people, where students can not only play but also learn uh, different new media skills like video production, streaming, content creation, graphic design, uh, coding, game development, and such. Uh, basically, uh, one of the biggest pain points kasi that we saw with Akaterina or what, how, as we've been scaling is that even though we have so many passionate students, Inside their schools, there's no space for them to congregate. There's no space for them to learn and grow. So we started talking to the schools. Is there a way we could actually work with you guys for you guys to pay for a space to put in your school? Because a lot of these schools actually always construct new computer labs. Naman eh. So what if we work together to create a computer lab that was more than just a computer lab? And for a lot of these schools, right, at the end of the day, schools are... Uh, always looking out for the development of their students. So if we're able to tell them there is a way for them to further the development of their students in a way that hasn't been done before, then a lot of schools actually just say yes. Interesting, interesting. And so having said that, um, I want to go back to what you guys are going to be doing. In, in five years' time, where do you see uh, Akadarina? Yeah, so in five years, I would see ourselves expanding across the entirety of Southeast Asia, most of Latin America, North America, and maybe some of Europe that's on the country expansion side, we would probably see Conquest become a mainstay in the Philippine uh, Philippine pop culture scene. So I, personally, because growing up, I really wished, I, like every year, the one thing I always told my parents is I always wanted to go to Asia Pop Comic Con in Manila. You know, it's like every year people go to that, give up money for that. And now that's gone. I want, uh, what's this? I, I want... Uh, I, I want Conquest to occupy the same role in people's hearts now. I want that little kid who might end up running his own company one day to also say, oh, mom, I want to go to Conquest. I, li- I, like, I love that because I, I mean, I, my, personally, my favorite pop culture is, is, is comic books. And so Asia Pop Comic Con was the biggest thing for me when they brought it over here. And I can see, I, I know that where your passion is coming from exactly, uh, Justin. And I, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Now, I will look back again at the sort of like at the ecosystem here right now because you know this is this is a podcast about entrepreneurs in in your area of um where, where you play in when it comes to pop culture uh with with uh conquest and of course with akadrina as well where you're developing the gaming culture what do you see as areas that are emerging or still areas where entrepreneurs can still find a niche that necessarily you're not going to do. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot already, maybe, you know, but you're spotting opportunities that, you know, if you had the time, you'd do it. But right now you say, it's okay, let other people take over these opportunities. What are these opportunities Opportunities you see happening around you? Yeah, I think there's still an uh, insane amount of opportunities available when it comes to core infrastructure, when it comes to uh, gaming and pop culture. So for example, right, one of the one of the things that the Philippines uh, one of the things that the Philippines still lacks is a central fabricator central fabricator for all of the merchandise all of the boots and stuff for events like honestly we've had to like come up with very creative solutions to get the event done uh, there's many companies in the US who solely specialize in general logistics and fabrication as being a supplier for gaming events in particular uh, called like the trade group for example they make millions of dollars every year supplying all of these different gaming gaming events that's one. Uh, the second one is uh, companies working with create the creator economy when it comes to developing creator-led products. So we see in the U.S., for example, that there's a, there's a company that's partnered with Mr. Beast, partnered with Logan Paul and KSI to create like branded merchandise, branded food. Like yung kay KSI, they have Prime Energy. For Mr. Beast, he has like the feastable candy bars. Uh, if someone if someone can somehow find a way to capitalize on like the and to capitalize on like the fandom of Filipinos for celebrities and idols to create like custom food, custom merchandise on their behalf. That's actually a big like economic. Uh, that's a big op- economic opportunity. I mean, you're already starting to see it not with like some uh, some entrepreneurs here in the Philippines, like you know Ding Dong Dantes with Ding Dong, tapos yung uh, secret yung secret kitchen. But there's still a big opportunity for like the more Gen Z, Gen A type of influencers to partner up with a company that helps them create like creator branded products. Right? So that's two. Uh, infrastructure, creator-led products. And then I think the third thing is that uh, not a lot of companies are still uh, truly uh, not a lot of companies are still truly capitalizing on uh, being like a publishing arm for for original Filipino uh, intellectual property in gaming and pop culture. So a lot of local, a lot of local developers, a lot of local artists actually don't have the machinery or resources to properly uh, distribute their product or develop their product. And if someone tries to come in and help support those local creators, that's actually something that would be quite useful. Uh, I know a lot of different like startups are doing are trying to do that, 
Boost is trying to do that. Our friends at Kumo are trying to do that. But that's a space that I see still has a lot of potential. Wow, really, really interesting uh, stuff. Thank you. It's, uh, that's a really nice sort of white space over there where people can enter in uh, with regard to entrepreneurship. And this time around, you know, um, as we start wrapping this up, it's a great discussion. I can't believe we've been talking this long. You know, you've been working since 13 years old. You're 23 years old. You've been working for 10 years full-time. Uh, you've run the gun from being a freelancer to being a part-time, to working part-time, putting up your own business, to working a Kadarina, and to working up Conquest. What are the management tips that you want to share with I mean, people out here who are listening here right now who might have at the very start, you know, been, you know, they, you know, um, if you're going to talk to your younger self, Justin, and say, here's some advice to help you hack uh, your success to what you are right now. What are these management hacks that you want to share uh, with your younger self and maybe other entrepreneurs listening to us here on the program? I guess when it comes to management, it's really just like one thing. It's always hire, always hire so that you as the founder or you as the employer are always the stupidest person in the room. What I mean by this is that uh, if you're the smartest person in the company as the employer or as the founder, you're probably doing something wrong. You should always hire to make sure that the people, your teammates or the people that you're working with are domain experts are smarter than you because that's the fastest way that the business grows or the fastest way that like you grow to as an individual and as an entrepreneur. Because if the business is defined, if the business's limit is defined as your limit, then the business can only go as far as you can. But if the business has a farther limit than you, then you're set up for long-term success. So, I, so for us, I, it's like I always like to say that like, or I always like to have the mindset that I always want to hire people who are way smarter than I am. Yeah. And I was going to say, you're already smart enough as it is. If you're hiring somebody smarter than you, then that must be some guy who's a, you know, a rocket scientist at that point. So anyway, Justin, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just a couple of things. If you're listening here right now, please don't forget to get your tickets for Conquest. Again, Conquest June 2 to 4 at SM Mall of Asia. And for those interested, Justin, if they want to participate in Akadarina, if they want to join one of your uh, student hubs, where can they go? Uh, they can go to akadarina.com or, Acad or conquestph.com. And uh, always feel free to message us on any of our social platforms or via email. And again, thanks so much, Justin Banusing, co-founder of Akadarina and Conquest. Good luck. It's such a pleasure to have you over here. I'm so inspired by you and by what you're doing together with your team. Uh, kayo. And, and, and thank you for at least, you know, raising the level, elevating the level of pop culture here in the Philippines again. My name is Arjila Desma. I will see you in the next Arjila Desma podcast. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.